0: Hebrews chapter 11. Picking up with where we left off, why don't you stand with me as we read the Word of God. We'll get back to standing and reading some passages in a few weeks. Uh, Just uh, understand the authority of God's Word compared to any other book that we read and in reverence as we just knelt. Verse 8, by faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place which he would receive an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith he dwelt in the land of promise, as in a foreign country dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he waited for the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. By faith Sarah herself also received strength to conceive seed, and she bore a child when she was past the age, because she judged him Faithful we'll come back to that later, who had promised, therefore, from one man and him as good as dead, were born as many as the stars of the sky and multitude, innumerable as the sand which is by the seashore. These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off were assured of them, embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For those who say such things, declare plainly that they seek a homeland. And truly, if they had called to mind that country from which they had come out, they would have had opportunity to return. But now they desire a better, that is, a heavenly country. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. Can't you not wait to get to that city? All the great cities of the world will be gone, but this city... We'll go and spend all eternity, and let's pray. Father, we we look forward to the day, Lord, when our faith becomes sight, when we see you face to face. And we can look back at the lives of the ancients and see that what they did, we can do and must do and walk by faith. Help us to grow in that faith, Lord. I pray that you'd strengthen my faith even now. Lord, I pray that you'd remove me that each person would hear Jesus, and I would be hearing from you. Not even really speaking as much as just listening to you. And we ask these things in your name. Amen. Amen. Why don't you be seated? We began a few weeks ago with the start of chapter 11, with the writer's opening words were, Now faith. Remember? Look back in your Bible. Look at the first words of uh, chapter 11. Now faith. And we saw that in the second study, and here again, in each subsequent study of the text, it's these two words, by faith. First it was now faith, now it's by faith. The initial definition and explanation of faith followed repeatedly by the testimony of faith of the servants of God that lived in the ancient times. And whether you thought about this or not, our examination of the saints in ancient times is a great encouragement to our spirit in contemporary times. Do you agree with that? Studying their ancient lives helps us today in 2020. In Psalm 77.5, I can show you that the scriptures proclaim this. Uh, It says, I have considered the days of old and the ancient times. It's really good to look back at what God has done in the lives of others. In Isaiah 51.9, it says, Awake, Awake, put on strength, O arm of the Lord. Awake as in the ancient days and the generations of old. What God did before, he'll do again, wants to do again. One of of God's names in Daniel chapter 7 is what? The Ancient of Days. That's one of God's names. Not only because he was long before the dawn of time, and of days, but because he sustained those in the ancient times and he will sustain us as well. Do you believe that? That God will sustain you. We can look back at the faithfulness of God and the growth and faith of those he redeemed and seek with confidence the same strength and the same arm of the Lord. I need the arm of the Lord, do you? He holds the past. He holds the present. He holds the future. We can and we must trust him for the future and the building of our lives, even in turbulent times. Say, Lord, we trust you for the future. We trust you for tomorrow. No matter how that conflicts with the world, with our limited understanding, and no matter how much you think you understand, God says, you don't know anything. We can't trust in our own self-centered flesh either, can we? No, for taking notes, faith that trusts in God for the future. In God. It says on our dollar bill, in God we what? Oh, I wish that was true. It's not. In Republicans we trust. In Democrats we trust. In stimulus funds we trust. In this program, that program, this military strength. God is not who we trust. But brother and sister, you and I are not of this world. We're of the world to come. We need to trust God. Four prominent names are mentioned in this text. Did you catch them? Abraham, Sarah, Isaac, Jacob. A mom and a dad, a son and a grandson. The founding family of Israel. You guys agree with that statement? The founding family of Israel of Israel. They didn't found it, but they were the founding family. God founded them to be the founding family. The couple that God chose to start a nation, their son Isaac and their grandson Jacob, who would later have the twelve sons and they would be the tribes of Israel. It's through this family's bloodline that God would send who? Yeshua, Jesus, down out of heaven to make a way for this original family and all those of like faith to have an eternal home in heaven. Why? Why would God do that? Why did He start this family? Why does Jesus have to come through the bloodline? Why does He have to come down out of heaven? Because of sin and physical death. Sin and physical death. Doesn't matter how you die. The fact is, we will die unless the rapture comes. Look at verse 13. It says it right there in verse 13. Um, these all what? Died. These all died, but not just died. They died in what? In faith. Everybody dies, but those who die in faith have a home where? In heaven. We're all going to die. The question is are we dying in faith? Are we dying in our sins? So, he has to send this sonny raises up this bloodline because we need a promised Savior. Now, their journey, all four of these saints mentioned, their journey is over. They're now, by faith, home with God by the grace of God. But they had to walk that faith out, and so we. It's not easy to walk by faith, is it? Anyone think it's easy to walk by faith? No. Our flesh fights against it. I have more fears as a 51-year-old man than I did as a 21-year-old when I didn't even know God. I now know too much. That's why, I, that's why I worry about things I never worried about at the age of 21. I wish I was as completely clueless as when I was 16, but at the same time had faith in God. That's why David was the only one that could fight Goliath. One, Sixteen-year-olds are clueless. Two, he had great faith. Just give give me the stones. I'll take him on. Everybody else was like, they could rationalize the logic. But their journey's over, walking by faith. It was difficult for them. And they developed a certainty that we're going to have to develop that overrides our questions. Do you hear me on this? That overrides your questions. A faith that overrides your questions, that overrides our disappointments, that overrides our discouragements, that overrides our fears, that overrides our doubts and our worries, all those things. We need faith that cuts through it like like the Red Sea. Notice I didn't say that we'll be immune from those feelings. They weren't immune from them either. But the faith of God was developed in them, and it will develop in us also. And it overcomes the dead weight of our flesh. Do you ever feel the dead weight of your flesh? You might feel it right now. You lugged yourself in here today. Ah, My flesh. I just want to stay in bed. I just grab the tablet and start surfing. Why? I don't know. Just something we do. But our flesh and our false feelings, God wants to override them by faith. Let's look at the first steps of this starting faith through Abraham, which I've titled, Step Out in Faith. Step out in faith. God's calling us to step out. Verse 8 looks really simple. By faith, I'm sorry, yeah, by verse 8. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place which he would receive as an inheritance, and he went out not knowing where he was going. Okay? Simple enough. Abraham did that. We all, we all kind of accept, yep, that's what happened. That's what he did. Looks very simple, neat, and clean if you just breeze through it without any thought or without any legitimate understanding of Abraham's life or life in general. In the Bible, simple rarely means easy. Simple rarely means easy. The command is clear. But all the reasons to balk and resist are staring us in the face. To resist and balk. Like, Lord, I know you talk. Moses, go talk to Pharaoh. I, sounds like a simple enough thing, but I don't want to do that. I, can, I don't blame him. Pharaoh can, off your head. We're going to look at Moses in coming weeks anyway. We're going to have to ignore the the internal, and I'm speaking to those online as well, the internal and external voices, and we're going to have to trust God. The writer is referring to the call of Abraham in Genesis chapter 12. Let's take a look at it together. It's on the screen. Get out from your country, from your family, and from your father's house to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great. And you shall be a blessing. We see later in here, he says, and uh, he refers to it in the writer Hebrews, that you'll be like the sand of the seashore, like the stars of the heaven, that kind of nation. By the way, a lot of times people say, there's no way that the same number of people came from Abraham as the sand and the stars. True. What it means is only God knows how many grains of sand there are and only God knows how many stars there are and only God knows exactly how many people came from Abraham. We don't have a clue how many came from Abraham. We know it's a lot. We know it's in the millions and, you know, as far as the spiritual children, billions now have come from Abraham. But the exact number of stars, sand, and souls, they all start with an S, stars, sand, and soul. Who knows the exact number? God, just like the strands of your hair, you don't know how many you have, God knows. So the word says innumerable, and that no one knows but God. So once again, the Bible is always correct, so when you hear kind of the agnostic say, yeah, it says it's number of sand and seashore, there's no way it's uh, it says innumerable. No one knows the number, only God knows the number. But we look at this call, get out from your country, leave your family. Simple enough, uh, God says to Abraham, uh, leave your home. Leave your family, leave your culture, leave your security, and be prepared to travel somewhere, though who knows where that will be to a new place. Got it. Seems simple unless you were given the command. Amen? God tells you all the same stuff. You know, Leave all the people that I love, all my security. But God says, I promise to bless you. You'll have a great name. You'll birth a nation, and you'll bless other people. That's the promise. There was the command, but there's also the promise. So you have what God commands alongside with what he promises. Our call to salvation is the same. He commands us to what? Believe on the name of Jesus. Believe on the name of Jesus and turn from our sins. That's the command. That's called repentance. He promises to forgive us. Give us eternal life and the blessings of his peace and the indwelling of his spirit. That's the promise. You have the command, repent, the promise, eternity with me. Peace, the Holy Spirit. How will we respond? I'm often glad that God called me and my wife. I'm going to do a topical message next week because I'm coming up next week on the 25th anniversary of us getting saved. Same day. Then I'll get back into Hebrews the following week. But I'm often glad that God called me and my wife when we were still in college. She was getting her master's degree. I was working on my third major change of major in third university. I was an unsettled soul before I came to know the Lord. I was working on my third major, third university. She was getting her master's degree, but we were married. We were only married for one year. But when we responded to the command of God and the gospel. And we were living in a smaller than 500-square-foot apartment. We had a lot of ramen noodles. You guys remember that, those days? We ate a lot of ramen noodles. We actually liked them, too. Uh, We ate a lot of Wendy's value menu. That was a great invention, you know, the Wendy's value menu. Roll up, everything, 99 cents. We had furniture, but all of our furniture in this little studio apartment was worth less than $500, I had a futon that you know, uh, I thought was great. And you know, looking back, I'm like, why did I even like that thing? You know, but we didn't have much to risk in finally saying yes to the gospel. Do you hear me on this? We did not have much to risk. It wasn't like I was kind of like Abraham with all of this stuff to risk. It was mostly we were risking our social life. That was the risk, our social life. What will our friends think? We can't party. We can't close down the bars anymore. Of course, God gave us a new thirst. Not even five years later, my wife had a very good job in human resources, and she had just been offered a huge promotion. We were living in Charlotte, North Carolina at the time. That she felt led, I wasn't feeling it at the time. She felt led to give it up and stay home because she was pregnant with our first child. I wasn't feeling that. But I prayed, and she was right. A couple years later, I was making more than our combined income. I was now making more than our combined income. I was advancing really well in my own career at that time. I was still growing in the Lord, but uh, I was making more than our combined income. I had a great career path. It's a term we like to use in this country. I had a great career path. But God would ultimately call me to leave that career and be full-time in ministry and become a pastor. My point is this. It was easier It was easier to walk away from not much to come to Christ. Back when we were in college, we didn't have to walk away from much. We were walking away from ramen noodles to ramen noodles. What difference did it make? With Jesus, we weren't walking away from much. We traded value menu for value menu. All that, It was just the social thing was the only, the only thing we were walking away from at that time. But then, as we had matured in Christ, when I did have something to walk away from, it was easier because now we were in love with Jesus. It was easier to walk away from those things and, uh, and say, all right, I can take these steps because now we had roots. I believe um, my point is it's easier to walk away from that and uh, once you have security in Christ, it's easier to not trust. Now, I'm not saying it's not e- We still trust in too many things. I still do. As a pastor, you still do. You're still, in this room, if we're really honest, we're still trusting too much in our own stuff and selves. Amen? And if you don't believe me, say, God, test this theory. I bet you don't pray that prayer. I bet you all aren't going to pray that prayer. You're kind of like, okay, I'll just acknowledge that and not pray that prayer. No, we know. God's always working out our faith. But it's why I believe that more young people come to Christ percentage-wise because they're not set and established. They're not having to walk away from all the stuff they're holding on to. They don't have that much. They have, you know, three $1 bills in their pocket. And someone says... You need to repent. And then and they realize, I need to do that. More young people, percentage-wise. Praise God, He saves people even at the age of hundred. I know that, but percentage-wise, more young people because they're not holding on to all these other material, uh, you know, kind of examples of security. But Abraham did both from the outset. Would you agree? Abraham did both. He actually was a man who had a lot to risk already, and he still said yes to God. And he is considered, from a human standpoint, the father of faith. The father of faith. It's not that Jesus, obviously the author of faith is God. But Abraham did. He wasn't in his early 20s like, our mid-20s like I was. He walked away from all that security and culture and family, and he did all this, and he did it by faith. And so God uses him again and again in the Scriptures to say, by faith, Abraham. Follow his faith. Abraham can't save you, but his faith is so acknowledged, so acknowledged that even Jesus tells a real story. It's not a parable. Remember the man who is in hell and he lifts up, lifts up his eyes and he sees who? Abraham. And, and Abraham's bosom is Lazarus. Why? Because it's a picture of the faith Lazarus had the same like faith as Abraham. The picture is you're going to have to follow the same faith. You're going to have to take steps you don't want to take. Now, verse, uh, uh, verse 8 unpacks for us a recurring theme in the scripture the call of faith and this life of a believer. Give me your attention as we take a look at this. Look at this. This is a, return, this is a recurring pattern throughout the Bible and our walk of faith. And we see it in Abraham's life here. Number one, you have to obey. It starts in the heart. Abraham says, all right, God, you want me to leave? I'll leave. Number two, we have to take active steps. You can't say you're going to leave and not leave. When God said to me, Tim, you're going to have to leave the business world and be a pastor. First, I said, okay, I'll do it. But guess what? I actually had to do it say it, I was going to do it. Your kids say, I'll make the bed. Does not mean it got made. Right? You actually have to say, I'll do it, then do it. So the first starts in the heart. The the next step starts with the feet. Uh, number three, we have to believe God will bless those steps. Lord, I believe. You're trembling. I'm not sure if this is going to work. When the first time we started tithing. or the first time, again, you know, my wife quit her job and you know, not literally, not one month later, I got offered the exact same amount as both of our combined income. to the penny. To the penny. It was the exact same dollar. Everything. But you take those steps of faith. Now before, uh, you have you know, Abraham did this, accept what he didn't know, and for a time wouldn't know. They didn't have any kids. Where is this country going to come from? How's this going to work? My wife's been told she can't have kids if you're talking. I'm speaking of Sarah there. Not my wife. Abraham's wife, Sarah. My wife's also named Sarah, so don't get confused. But Peter obeyed the same pattern when Jesus invited him out of the boat. Jesus gave the command. Peter said, if you're Lord, invite me out. So Jesus said, come. Peter has to then say, all right, that's the command. I'll do it. Then he took the steps. He had to believe Jesus would keep him upright, and Jesus did keep him upright, didn't he? He was strolling along like it was concrete. And he had to accept what he didn't know. He didn't know how it was working. He just knew God was doing it. He believed. But then, again, he started to waver. But the first four steps, he was doing right. If you take the summer Bible reading challenge, same pattern. No more thinking about it. Just say yes. You don't have to... Things that God wants you to do, you don't have to, like deliberate just say lord i'm going to do this if you overthink it you won't do it just say yes i'm going to do it then start doing it and he'll give you he'll 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 give you the help then you have to make the necessary change you have to set the alarm turn the tv off turn the phone off for 20 extra minutes and you'll end up really being, being glad you did these things believe god will bless it say lord i know that getting more of your word in me you're going to bless that faith comes by hearing hearing by the Word of God. You know that God will... He, he's not a liar like us. He will keep his word. And then accept the unknown of how God's going to use it. Lord, I don't know how this is going to be used, but somewhere in the middle of August, it's going to light bulbs going to go off, and I'm going to see how you're using this in my life. Simple thing. The last aspect transitions to our next view of faith. Stay convinced in the faith. So step out, but stay convinced. Lord, help me to stay convinced. Lord, you helped Abraham stay convinced. You helped Isaac stay convinced. You helped Jacob stay convinced. There were lots of people that were all in the, the Canaanites saying, your God will never protect you from us. We'll run you through with a sword. It's kind of scary. You're just a little family from Ur of the Chaldeans, and you move to a different place, and you've got empires there, and you move there, and you say... You don't get to lock the doors with tents, right? They lived in tents. Tents can be set on fire while you're in them. They were surrounded by some really vicious kingdoms, and yet God protected them. You're going to have to stay convinced when the world around us is pretty vicious, pretty uncertain. But your God is not uncertain. This is staying the course when the promises aren't appearing in the time frame that we thought they would, or they're not happening in the ways that we thought they would. They're kind of, God's taking us a little different route than we expected. In Abraham's life and in ours, God is saying, yes, I will bless you beyond measure. But first, I'm going to bless you, bless you with the gift of patience. Ah, we don't love that gift, do we? I can speak for me. I don't really love being blessed with the gift of patience because you don't just get it, you learn it. It's like a course. You get, and just like college, you, know, you're, you're, you get to pay for the course on top of it all. Our gift to you is this course, and you get to pay for it, and you get to study and pull all-nighters and all that other stuff, but here you go. Patience, perseverance, humility. These are the gifts that God was going to give to Abraham, that he was going to grow, character building, and a much deeper faith. You can't be the father of faith if you don't exercise faith. Abraham, I can't use you in the New Testament a bunch of times until you walk this out. And for you, brother and sister, God can't really use you. He says, I don't want to see this person come to Christ. God says, I'll bring them to Christ, but I'm going to bring you to maturity first. You see in those initial steps, we're we're pretty accepting of the unknowns at first. We say, all right, I'm ready, I'm going to do it. But as we settle into seasons of life, we still have a flesh that resides within us. And our flesh starts predicting outcomes. You know what I'm talking about? Our our flesh says, if I do this, this is how it's going to roll. And then it doesn't roll that way. Remember, as Peter jumped out of the boat, he was all accept- Jesus can do anything. I can walk on water. Everything's fine. And then he started processing all this. Hold on a second. The physics say this won't work. And he starts to do what? He falters. And he starts to sink. He starts to doubt the unknowns. We can start out in faith And many of you have started out in faith, and so have I. We've started out in faith, but then we can revert to logic and experience. I'm not a pessimist. I'm just very experienced. you heard that before? A pessimist is an optimist with experience. Right? That's what a pessimist is. That's... Over time, you, you realize, all right, I know God called me to do this. I know he wants me to do this. But our own expectations start creeping in and our own predicted outcomes, And we stop living by faith, and now we're walking by sight again. And we're not convinced of what God told us in the first place, but Abraham would have to go back out and look back up at the stars and say, his promise hasn't changed. The stars are still there. His promise hasn't changed. We can start out in faith, but... What God calls and commands often goes against all of our understanding. And that's why the Bible says, lean not to your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge him. Not your understanding, not my understanding. But the good news for Peter, as he began to sink and as Abraham and his family saw, genuine faith always resurfaces even when we wobble. Isn't that great to know? Jesus said, I've prayed for you that your faith would not fail. Genuine faith will resurface. Why? Because if it's genuine, it's supernatural. I was saved with a supernatural work of God, and He will develop my faith supernaturally. Listen, our faith is not in faith, our faith is in God. Let me say that again our faith is not in faith. Our faith is in God. When Peter started sinking, he didn't bank on his faith. I want you to hear this. He did not bank on his faith when he started sinking. He cried out to his Savior. He didn't bank on his faith. Crying out to his Savior was a measure of his faith. I don't ever say, Lord, I have so much faith. No, I say, God, you have so much power. It's not faith in our faith. It's faith in him. Faith, of course, produces something in us. Uh, That's a pattern, but it's always tied to trusting God for his help. It was Peter to whom Jesus said, I've prayed that your faith would not fail. And again, even though he denied the Lord three times that night, only to go back and preach at Pentecost just five weeks later, as we looked at last week, um, it shows you that his faith was genuine. God will not let genuine faith dissipate but he'll correct us. He'll course correct us. I don't know how many times you've studied the life of Abraham and Sarah in the book of Genesis, but they didn't have an accident-free drive down the highway of faith. Did you know that? It wasn't accident-free. They had their own mistakes. Once they got to the promised land, they had some detours. In fact, the word promise is mentioned here three times Verses 9 through 11, they had to keep getting back to the promise. Oh yeah, we've been promised this. That's why it's mentioned three times here. Uh, It keeps us convinced to remain faithful even when you've blown it. If you've blown it this week, God still loves you and wants to breathe newness into your faith. It wasn't long after getting to the land of Canaan that Abraham headed to Egypt to survive. There's no mention that he prayed about this, by the way. He just said, you know, man, I've done the math. We've got to go to Egypt. Sarah might have said, why don't we pray about it? Pray about it. We're halfway to Egypt by now. How will we do that? You know, it's that kind of thing. So uh, he headed to Egypt and makes this calculated decision, followed by another uh, time where his wife, uh, while they get to Egypt, He asks her to tell a half-truth, which is a lie, to keep him safe. Later, he does the same thing a second time. Um, For years, they're waiting for a son that's not coming, which is essential to nation-building, right? You, You actually have to have a child to have another child to somehow spawn a tribe of people. Since it doesn't come about, and they're both getting old, Sarah comes up with this brilliant plan. I've got a handmaiden from Egypt. Abraham says, sounds like a great idea to me, and goes along with it. They get ahead of God, and it causes what? Unnecessary pain, some of which the world is still enduring, I believe. There are consequences to all believers when we stop being convinced of God's promises. I'm warning all of you, online, there's consequences when we stop believing what God has said. It's going to be consequences for us. Even if we have genuine faith, Uh, God, whom the Lord loves, he what? Chastens. But if the faith is genuine, thank the Lord the setbacks are temporary. Isn't that great to know? Because I've had my share of setbacks where I've not trusted the Lord and I've kind of calculated the odds and did it my own way. And God says, all right, you're going to suffer the consequences for that. But he loves us enough to bring us back to where we need to be. Uh, Before the days of GPS, remember, that was all the way in the 90s. Before the days of GPS, um, some of you remember getting lost on a trip. Some of you that are my age, you know, 40s, 50s. And above, you remember getting lost on a trip. I remember as a kid being in the back of our station wagon. My dad and mom had the conversation. Where are we going? I don't know. I, I got off the turnpike. I have no idea, you know. And you'd have this kind of, you'd, I remember as a kid hearing this conversation. Uh, now, men would drive around for an extra hour and try and retrace their steps, which is hard when you had clover leaves and everything. Which, which, which part of it do we get? Men will drive an out maybe two hours, retracing their steps of what went wrong. Wives are like, why don't you stop? This is the 70s. Why don't you stop at a gas station? Today's kids don't even know what that means. Why would I stop at a sheets? What would they know about any of this kind of stuff? But back then it wasn't like sheets. It was just literally a gas pump, and you assume that the gas attendant knew everything about geography. You know, you just pull in there, they'll tell you all you need to know. But despite the delay or detour, detour, and even me and my wife, when we, you know, we got married, we didn't have GPS in the early '90s. We would get lost sometimes traveling somewhere. Uh, We never changed plans. We didn't say, you know what? Since we don't know where we're at, we'll just stay in this little tiny town in South Carolina for the next year. No. We eventually would get back on track. Because if you really know where you're going, you'll always get back on track. And if God has put real faith in your heart, you'll always get back on track. You won't just stay there. Real, convinced faith trusts in the grace and the mercy of God to forgive us of our sins and missteps that Abraham and Sarah would say, Lord, we blew it. And God says, it's okay. I'm not even going to make a record of these mistakes in the book of Hebrews. Isn't that great? I'm going to forgive you. Now stay convinced of the promises. Get reconvinced of the promises. Sarah, it says here, Sarah, by faith she also received strength. It doesn't talk about the mistakes she made. It talks about her faith. She judged him faithful Verse 11, Sarah trusted in the faithfulness of the Lord. She trusted in the faithfulness of the Lord, not her faithfulness, not Abraham's faithfulness. That's how we become faithful, is to not have faith in our own faith, but to say, Lord, I'm trusting in you. Even when we are faithless, the scripture says, He remains faithful. Abraham and his sons, they dwelt in the land. They never built homes. That's a test of faith. But if you build a home here, God says, you're trying to, ma- in, the, in that time, that doesn't mean that you, you and I, were allowed to have a house. But God specifically did not want them to build a physical home because they were to be a visual representation for future generations that they were looking to another place. And so they built homes. They never settled in Sodom. But Lot did, didn't he? Lot said, I'm not into this whole tent thing. I'm going to go to Sodom. And what happened? He lost his entire family. But they stayed firm. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, they stayed firm. They didn't settle in the pagan cities. They kept following the plan of God. They were convinced that God would bless their obedience and mature them and help them to not care about the unknowns. That's what God wants to do for you, brother and sister, and those who watch watching the God wants you to get to the place that you don't care about unknowns anymore. You're like... I don't care about the unknowns because my God knows everything. I want to have the kind of faith that men like Polycarp had. You know, when they told him, hey, you're going to burn the stake," he invites all the Roman soldiers to eat and prepare a feast for them. So then when they lit him on fire, he wouldn't even burn because he had so, he had, his faith had become strong over time. Which brings us to our final focus of faith. Again, uh, the unknowns. We look to something we don't know. I've not, I can't tell you a lot about heaven other than what's in the Bible, but other, other than that, there's a lot of unknowns I have, but th- this much I do know. I know my name is already written in the Land's Book of Life. I know that my real citizenship, as Paul writes, is in heaven. I'm a citizen of Virginia, but that's a temporary thing. Heaven is a permanent thing, and Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Sarah, and all of their kind of wobbles and staying on the path, though, they were looking, as the scripture tells us, these all died in faith. Verse 13, not having seen received the promises, but having seen them afar off, were assured of them, embraced and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. Do you see yourself that way? For those who say such things declare plainly they seek a homeland. Verse 16, but now they desire a better that is a heavenly country. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God. He has prepared a city for them. I'm not sure who came up with our last point. Seek heaven and faith. Seek heaven and faith. We'll close with this. I'm not sure who came up with the saying, uh, but I remember hearing it a lot when I was growing up. You're so heavenly minded, you're no earthly good. Not true statement. I don't know who came up with it. Scripture says the complete opposite. Anyone who's truly heavenly-minded will accomplish the will of God on earth. Heavenly-minded people accomplish the will of God for the kingdom of God here on earth. It just says right here, the scripture it says, says that they were focused on a homeland. They were were very heavenly-minded, which is why Abraham's faith was so strong. Charles Spurgeon said, the more of heaven there is in our lives, the less of earth we shall covet. The more I get heaven on my mind, the less I care about all the stuff the world says is going to make me happy or make you happy. To be heavenly minded is to become an overcomer and not be deceived by this world. All these ancient saints, they look to heaven and never considered this world to be their home, even though God had promised he'd make a great nation of Abraham and his family, he wanted that family to go on and be in heaven, not hang out on the dusty earth of Canaan for the rest of their lives, which wouldn't last anyway. They all grew in relationship with God and wanted to be used by God, but they wanted to go home to God. Amen? I want to be used by God. I want to live my whole life as well as God can possibly do through me that my daughters and someday their kids serve the Lord. But ultimately, I want all of us, my my personal family and spiritual brothers and sisters, all of us to go home to God and sit down at the marriage supper of the Lamb. As I said, Paul said our citizenship is in heaven. Peter said we look for a new heaven and a new earth. Jesus said look up for your redemption draws nigh. Real and genuine growing faith thinks less and less and less of this fallen world but yet still has a heart for the souls of this fallen world. Our our vision shifts. Instead of actually loving the stuff of this world, we do love the souls of this world but we love the Promise of heaven. And our desire is to take as many people there as possible. And a longing for heaven builds in us by the work of the Spirit. I hope that all that has happened in 2020. It's interesting that the year was 2020, which we see as 2020 vision. Nobody saw this vision coming. Right? Coronavirus, chaos, strife. But God's like, no, no, this is the world you actually live in. Fallen, depraved, to see, God's like, this, I, you want a 2020 vision? This is your world. But if you want my world, step out in faith. Stay convinced in faith. Seek heaven in faith. Is your thirst for heaven growing? Those of you online, is your thirst for heaven growing? Are you longing for Jesus to come? Are you ready for Jesus to come? We'll close and just a reminder. These recurring steps, I showed them once, I'm putting them back up as we come to a close right here. Keep obeying. Keep taking those steps. Believe, believe. Jesus said it all, believe God. Don't believe your flesh. Don't believe the news. By goodness sake, don't believe the news. Don't believe, accept what we don't know, but what God has said is true. Amen? And trust him with the results. Trust him in the future. Trust him for today. Trust him for this week. Trust him for tomorrow. Trust him for this year. Don't trust ourselves. We don't have faith in faith. We have faith in God. Amen? Let's close in prayer. Father, we just bow before you again. You know the future. You hold the future. Lord, you knew when we would come to you before we ever came to Christ. You knew the day. You knew when I would come to you in June of 1995. You knew when I would come to saving faith. But Lord, our faith can wobble. And we ask that you would help us for the roots to grow deeper. The disciples said, Lord, increase our faith. That we would take those steps in faith. That we'd stay convinced in faith. That we would seek heaven in faith as Abraham did. Sarah, Isaac, Jacob. Lord, they weren't perfect. Neither are we. But they grew in faith. That they were able to take greater steps of faith. And Lord, we need that In the days in which we live, and Lord, as we stand in faith, we're going to see more people come to know Jesus as their Lord and Savior that are watching us to see, do we act the same way as they do? Do we respond the same way as they do? Do we freak out the same way? Or do we stay humble and on our knees and able to weather storms by faith through grace? Now, Lord, I ask that you would do that. And as your heads are bowed, I just want to ask... For those of you that are online or maybe in this room, uh, if you've never taken that initial step of faith, putting your faith and trust in Jesus, I just wanna invite you, if you haven't done that, I just speak to you or anyone here, if you've never given your life to Christ, if your heads are bowed, even in this room, if you wanna raise your hands, and say, I've never really, I've never given my life to Jesus. Is there anyone in this room who wants to say, "I've, I've not done that, I've not taken that initial step of putting my faith and trust in Christ? asking him. Remember I said that the command comes first and the promise is with it. The command is to repent and believe in the name of Lord Jesus. The promise is I'll give you forgiveness of sins and everlasting life. Anyone in this room just raise your hand. I want to pray with you or let you say a prayer or online. If God is speaking to you you say Lord I'm not going to think about it anymore. I'm just going to say yes to Jesus. Pray along with me. Say Lord Jesus thank you for coming. Thank you for preaching the gospel. Thank you for dying for my sins. I ask that you would cleanse me and wash me and forgive me from all of my sins and all of my resistance of you and write my name in the land's book of life. Fill me with your Holy Spirit for I've decided this day to follow you, Jesus, for the rest of my life and that you will help me now with this step of faith to grow in faith and to be baptized and to walk in newness of life. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.